brother Andrew. He's going to come up and testify. Let's give him a hand. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the elders here at Metro Praise International. I just want to testify to you guys that this weekend we celebrated uh, my son's first birthday. He's uh, my beautiful wife and I. Lauren is our third child. And, uh, you know, we've had some ups and downs with childbearing. I'm sure some of you can relate. And I just want to encourage you, you know, we, we've had a miscarriage, but God's been faithful, you know. We got Micah now. He's beautiful. He's happy. He's healthy. Praise God, you know. So I just want to encourage you that, you know, continue to, to train children up in the way of the Lord and the way that they should go. And that, you know, that they're beautiful. They're not a burden. I, I know today young adults see them as burdens and, and crying and nagging. <laughs> But man, God, God has just really blessed us with some amazing children. So I want to encourage you guys with that word. I'm going to encourage you also with Psalms 127, verse 3. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Amen. So how many warriors we got here with some arrows? Come on. Amen. Amen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this service, Lord. I pray that you'll just use each and every one of us here to just edify your body today, Lord God. Let us all come together and worship you, the one true king. In your name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Fawn, welcome to Metro Praise International. Before we start singing, can you guys just lift your hands with me? We're going to start this worship service by worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, I want you right now to think of three things that you're thankful for. Think of three things that he has blessed your life with. God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you are unchanging. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you for the blessings that you pour on our life. Oh, God, we thank you for this church. We thank you, God, that you never give up on us, that you always pursue us. We give you the glory, Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that you are God. Come on, Jesus, we love you, Lord. Have a destiny. Come on, let's sing it out with some passion. 
could ever come close nothing can compare you're our living hope your presence Lord taste it I've tasted and seen the sweetest of lives when my heart becomes free and my shame is up. 
Circumstances change in your presence. Come on, some of you need to hear that this morning. Circumstances change in your presence. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our voices. If you speak in tongues, go ahead and operate in that gift.
the Holy Ghost. So right now we're going to give time for words to come forth. If you have a word from the Lord, you are released to speak it now. Let's approach the throne of grace with confidence before God right now because we are covered in the blood of Jesus. We approach the mercy seat.
Hallelujah, Jesus. We sing in Christ. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak, lay strong in a Savior's blood. Christ again. In Christ
Hallelujah, Señor. Come on, all over this room. Come on, hands lifted up all over this room. We're worshiping the King of Kings this morning. Oh, hands all over this room. Just lift it up high to the King of Kings, to the one who's Lord of all, Lord of all creation. Lord over your life, Lord over your family, Lord over your future. Oh, oh, come on. Hearts lifted high up to the King, to the one who's worthy, to the one who's holy, to the one that's set apart, to the one who loves. Hallelujah. Who the one who rules in righteousness with justice. To worship our Father in heaven. We come to worship the Son and the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, Señor. Hallelujah, Señor. Come on with all that is inside of you this morning. Fire of God, fire of God, fire of God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Rabba, Korraba, Oh, he's Lord of all. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord over all of your fears. He's Lord over every situation. He's still Lord. Even with all the chaos and violence all across our nation, all over the world. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's in control. He sits on the throne. And he waits patiently with grace. And he's slow to anger and abounding in love. And that's the God that we serve. He's Lord of all. He's the cornerstone in all that takes place. Come on. We put our trust in you this morning. Heavenly Father, with every heart present here, with every weighty matter of the heart, dear God, we trust you. Come on, just say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you with what's going on in the present. I trust you with what's going going to happen in the future. I trust that my past is in your hands. And I thank you for being Lord of my life. Hallelujah. You are a good father. God, we thank you for welcoming us into your presence. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. And we're excited for what you are about to do. We're excited for what you are doing and all the testimonies present in this room. Have your way this morning in our service, God. We give you full control and we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give him some praise this morning. He's a good God. Oh, hallelujah, God, you're good. Why don't you just greet your neighbor and find a seat? Thank you so much for joining with us. Welcome to Metro Praise International. We're so happy to have you here. I want to take this time to dismiss all of the children. Your Sunday school teacher is waiting for you in the back. Everyone else, could you please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 1.16? I want to take some time to preach the gospel to you. The gospel, the good news. Here's Paul writing to the church in Rome. Paul, who at one point denied the gospel, 
denied the good news of Jesus Christ, wanted nothing to do with it, yet persecuted all those who wanted to follow this good news. Here is declaring in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Amen? Paul says he's not ashamed, but he's proud of the gospel, and he's going to continue to declare it because he understands the power that it brings, the good news. The gospel is good news because the truth is that without Christ, we are all sinners. We've all been born with sin, and we all continue to sin without Christ. And that sin separates us from the Father, but the good news is that Jesus Christ came into this world and took upon the punishment that we deserved so that we could have eternal life and have relationship with the Father. I want you to know that there is power in the gospel, power to set you free from your past, power to set you free from sin, to set you free from bondage and fears and anxiety and worries, but to give you life. There's nothing in this world that can offer you life but Jesus Christ alone. So today I beckon you to come to the cross. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to have some prayer workers up here in just a few moments. And if that's you and you say, I came here because I want Christ, I want life, then you come and you come hungry. And I promise you God will meet you here at these altars and he will give you the life that he's always wanted to give you. So I want to take this time, if you could please stand to your feet and just pray for those who want to do that today. For those of you who say, I am a disciple, I just want to pray blessings and just fruitfulness over your lives. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. Father, we thank you that there's power in this good news. We thank you that there's power to break off bondage, to break off years of sin, generational curses. Father, we thank you that there's power, Father, to bring us forth into your presence because of what Jesus did for us. So I pray, dear God, for those who don't know you today. Father, I pray that they would take that step of faith to draw close to you. Father, one ounce of faith, dear God, to meet with you. And I pray that you would transform their lives from the inside out. And I pray for my brothers and sisters all over this room, those who are disciples, Father, to continue bearing fruit, being a disciple that makes disciples, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Like I said, if that's you and you want prayer, we're going to have a time of fellowship. And if you want that, just come up here. And we have uh, my husband, Berto, and Cynthia who would love to pray with you. Right now, we're going to recite our confession of faith. This is our biblical worldview. This is what we believe as a church and we stand on. So we're going to recite it right now on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Why don't you give them some praise? 
Take some time to fellowship. Greet your neighbor. And if you would like prayer, we have uh, our prayer workers right up here for you. As distant hearts begin believing, redemption's bid is church this morning. Welcome to Metro Praise International. On behalf of the leaders, we welcome you. Thank you for joining us, choosing to worship the Lord this morning. What a powerful time of worship. Do you guys enjoy that time of worship? God was exalted. So if this is your first time here, we welcome you. Please join us back for more powerful times with God. Our services here at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then we have Elevate Every Friday at 7 p.m., it's for ages 11 to 18 years old. So if you know anybody that's in that age group, invite them, bring them on by. Our teenagers are really just getting fired up for God and winning their friends for Jesus. We have our summer retreat coming up right around the corner to Devil's Lake in Baraboo, Wisconsin. It's going to be Friday, July 31st to August 1st, which is a Saturday. So it's just Friday, Saturday. It's going to be an amazing time. Start registering with Griselda and I in the back. Pastor Griselda and I can start registering everybody. And we're just excited. So put it in your calendar. We haven't done it for a few years, so everybody's really pumped. Just just be out there in the wild nature, and it's just going to be so much fun. We could go rock climbing, boulder climbing, swimming, canoeing. So mark it in your calendar and join us out. 75 per person or 175 per family. You could get your own hotel room. Our vision here is very simple. It's loving God and loving people, the two greatest commandments Jesus gave to us. Our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. Somebody say connect. The way we want to connect you to Jesus and connect you to the church here at MPI is through our life groups. In the back of your handouts, we have a full list 
of the life group schedule happening for this quarter. We encourage you, find a place to belong. There's so many friendships, so many relationships that are ready to be built, and it includes you. So find a home, the type of life group that meets your needs, and we like to give you a snapshot every week of what's happening. So this week is a full week. Somebody say full week. It's a full week of life groups. So today, kicking it off, we have our single mamas. Come on, make some noise. They meet today at 5 p.m. with childcare included. Also, our marriage group is meeting today. Any married folks in the house? With childcare, 6 p.m. today. Tuesday, we have the Resistance Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. meet at the church. Every uh, And then Wednesday again, Righteously Redeemed Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, meet at the church at 6 Every Wednesday is our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old. Drop them off at 6.30, pick them up at 8, parents. This is a time where we want to disciple your children. We have the Impact Girls Club, Royal Rangers Boys Club, and they are just rocking it out. They're saying their pledges, their mottos. Graduation is coming up. They're getting their badges. So it's an awesome time to bring your children and get them involved into the church. And then every Friday we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Govea's house and the other one is at the Walker's house. Both meet at 7 p.m., 18 years and up. If you're an adult, that's where you want to be on Friday nights. That is the place to be. Hang out, learn about the Bible, encourage each other, get refreshed with genuine friendships in the Lord. And then Saturday, we have evangelism every single week. All ages are welcome. Meet at the church at 5 p.m. We're blowing it up. Chicago for Jesus. How many of you guys believe that Jesus wants Chicago? How many of you guys want Chicago to belong to him? Well, it does. We just got to snatch them out of the fire. So... Uh, the evangelism team last night, we had about 18 people show up. So thank you. You're heeding the call. We're encouraging you to go share your faith. The Bible says, he who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. So that's our time to go pour it out and tell people about Jesus. And then we want to mentor you. We have leaders ready to take you through our 101, which is the book that we call uh, Welcome to Your New Life. We're ready to take you through this and help you live for Jesus. And then when you graduate 101, you get it into our 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. And this is our leadership training class where we teach you how to defend the faith, live holy, and eventually you can be ordained as an elder or a deacon because how many of you guys know we need more people if we want to have 100,000 in the city? So we want you, Jesus wants you to partner with him for his kingdom, and that's how we'll mentor you. Then we want to send you out to go share your faith. And our goal at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples in the city with 50 churches and then 500 around the world. If you believe we could do that by God's grace and power, say amen. Praise the Lord. What an exciting time. I feel the excitement. Am I the only one? Do you guys feel the excitement in the air? Because I feel it. Praise the Lord. Let's get ready to um, learn about offerings. We are on section two of the Disciples Giving Book. Lesson six, generous offerings take generosity. We've been learning about how to be generous, to give above our tithe, an amount that the Lord has impressed in our heart. So lesson six is about giving that with generosity. In, the, in our Bibles, we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians 9.11. You can follow along on the screen as well. 2 Corinthians 9.11. The offering is a gift to God after our tithe. So that's what we've been learning in this section two of the book. Let's read in 2 Corinthians 9.11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's all for him. Here are the main points from that passage of scripture. Number one, enriched. It is God's desire to enrich you so you can be rich in giving. God's blessings are to go 
to you and then through you. And that's why our prayer is we want to be blessed to be a blessing. We don't want to be blessed just to keep hoarding material possessions. We want to be blessed so that God meets our needs and that we can meet the needs of those around us and for the, the nations for Jesus. Number two, be generous on every occasion. How can we be generous on every occasion? By sacrificing and always giving our best. Every time we give our best to God, it is considered a sacrifice because we could have spent the money on something we personally wanted. So it's a sacrifice unto God. It's a, it's a, a gift of thanksgiving to him when we sacrifice and give out of a heart of generosity. Number three, thanksgiving to God. When we give generously and sacrificially, God is pleased with our offering. Also, the people we bless as a result of our offerings will give thanks to God for receiving what they need. For example, when you give to the missions offering, the people will be extremely thankful to God for your help and support. And that's where that saying comes in. It's not about just us four and no more. It's about the kingdom. It's about co-laboring with Christ, and we have the honor to do that. Here's a summary. True generosity in offerings comes from a heart of sacrifice because you could have spent the money on yourself. Here's the application. Number one, be a faithful tither. Number two, sacrifice your wants and desires to give generous offerings. And number three, thank God for the chance to give and help others. It is an honor. Here's our confession of faith. Let's recite this over our life on the count of three. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they code towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Please stand up to your feet with me this morning as we prepare to give God our best, our tithes and offerings. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is a 10% of our total income, and anything above that is an offering, which we designate towards missions and building. And currently, we are in a building offering, a building fund, and we are raising monies for that 15-passenger van. So thank you for your generosity. We're so close. We believe it could be this month that we could get it. So God has been faithful, and we just thank you for partnering with us with that. We also have two other options for giving to make it convenient for you. We have online or in the back with Pastor Griselda or myself. If you have any questions, please see us about that. And let's recite this on uh, Luke 6:38. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your generosity, for your sacrifice. You showed us by example what generosity and sacrifice looks like because you sent Jesus to die for us. You showed us the greatest act of sacrifice, and we give you our best in return, God. We will be faithful with everything that you've put in our hands. So I pray that you bless the gift and the giver. Bless and prosper your people as we are faithful to the tithe, faithful to give offerings, God, I pray that you would use it to multiply your kingdom on this earth. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please come forward as you give this morning, and thank you so much for your generosity.
All right, if you're ready for the word, make some noise. Come on, you guys excited today? I'm so happy that you're here. We have a special guest speaker. Her name is Dr. Cook. She is from the Philippines, but now she lives in Oakland, California. She works with the Bible College that we host here in our church. She's a powerful woman of God. She's doing some work right now with the school in the Midwest. And I asked that she would come preach to us in the series on Fear Not. So everybody say Fear Not. So we're in this series on not being afraid. She's a powerful woman of God, and I asked her to come up with some mess, uh, a message, but some points, some scriptures to encourage us, and I'm ready to receive from her today. So would you guys stand back up to your feet and give Dr. Cook a good Metro Praise International welcome. Yes. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. You may be seated. Appreciate the warm welcome. I think, I don't know if I can match his excitement. <laughs> he has been like bugging me forever. Like, are you excited? Are you excited? <laughs> it's an exciting time to be alive. We are uh, at the time in history where we either have in our hands the ability to completely shift, be instrumental in God's hand to shift the turn of events in history, or just let it happen, keep happening the way it is. And I'm glad that in this congregation, we have a lot of young people. Praise God. Because historically, in the history of missions, God always used young people to change the world. And mamas and papas, mothers, parents, thank God for releasing your children to serve God. It's an awesome thing. Let me just have a word of prayer with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the word that will go forth today, God. And I thank you that the word that will go forth today will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose that you, have, that you will send it forth. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that there will be freedom, there will be deliverance, oh God, that will be experienced, that there will be clarity, oh God, in our minds. In the name of Jesus, as your word goes forth, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask in the name of Jesus, that we will not leave this place unchanged. For those that need to be affirmed in the faith, let them be affirmed. For those that need to be confronted, let them be confronted and be changed. For those that need to be st stabilized, Lord, let stability come upon their life. For those who are struggling with certain things, God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the shackles will be broken in the name of Jesus. And Lord, more than anything, God, I pray, Father, for the anointing of your love to come upon us today. That we will understand, Father, your everlasting love for us. Oh, God, we worship you. We magnify your name. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. Holy, holy are you, Lord. I thank you for your love for each one of us here today, that we have this seasoned word for each one, special word for each one, God. That's your desire. You love each of your children. And I thank you. I'm confident that you will speak to each one because you always want to speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, thank you, Pastor Joe, for inviting me here and for hosting me in the home. I invaded our privacy. 
I, I really prefer when I'm visiting, I really prefer to get to know people. And the best way to get to know them is, they is stay in their home. And that's also the best way they can know you. You know, so um, I was raised by a missionary in Philippines spiritually. My spiritual parents were both missionaries from here in the U.S. My pastor w uh, was from Alabama, uh, is from Alabama, and uh, my, no, Georgia. And the wife of my pastor is from Pennsylvania. And we were mentored by them, and we lived with them Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We watched them live, all of us on staff. They had six children. It's chaotic. You have the two-year-old toddling around. And <laughs> Sister Cher goes, Nathan! And my pastor would say, Nathan, did your mom just call you? What did I tell you? I should go to mommy. Did you do that? No. Okay. Go upstairs and get the paddle. They get a paddling. How many paddles should I give you? Three. I think I'll give you four. <laughs> <laughs> They're all serving the Lord. All six children are serving the Lord. They're adults. They're all serving the Lord, love the Lord, passionate about the ministry. And that's, that's how I was raised, and that's why I tend to be that way as well. And there was one thing that he would always say, speak the truth about yourself, even if it's shameful, because the truth shall set you free. You know? And he has always said that the church should be a place where you can be free, and you can, and you can be yourself and not be judged for it. And then there's a room, there's place for growth, there's place for correction, but it's all done in compassionate way. Because if the church is a place where people go underground, and I have to wear the right outfit, and I have to, you know, say things the right way, then you never really know if they're being changed by the gospel, don't you? Because they're living two lives. So I'm very, very grateful for mentors like that who taught me how to live life. But today I will be sharing with you to be consistent with the theme of your church about fearing not. I will be sharing with you from 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. The Bible says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I love that passage. I almost forgot. I have a video here. Can you just show that very quickly before I continue this message? Just watch this and be blessed.
Amen. God is bigger. First John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in, in love. Let me just, you know, how do we define fear? What is really fear? You know, psychologists define fear as, as an emotional response induced by a perceived threat. So what happens is you see something, a stimulus that kind of like makes you freak out. Like, ooh. You know, I remember when I was when I was very young, I was not really very young, I was in high school. So I studied at a at university one hour away from our, our town. I was able to do that, not because we could afford it, but because I was, I was able to get a scholarship to study at a university. And it was of a per very prestigious university. Um, I was blessed to graduate from elementary with honors and my prize was a scholarship. But every weekend I have to go home to get supplies, right? So there was only one bus that travels back to the city at that time, and I have to walk two kilometers. I don't know how, that how many is that in miles. Uh, at night, and it will be dark in the street, and I will be like imagining things like, <laughs> and I will start running, you know, and I will go from one house, you know, like there are houses along the road, and I would be so fearful because something, there was something in my mind. There were some stimulus. There were, I would imagine, sometimes I would think, was that, is there a movement there? Is there a ghost? You know? And I would prefer if there are dogs around. Because at least if there are dogs, that means there's homes. Because in Philippines, they don't, you know, they just let the dogs run away, you know? But fear is an emotional response induced by a perceived threat. Who among you here have fears? Thank you for bearing very truthful. I like that. Which is caused, and, and they said, which causes a change in the brain and organ function. This is very interesting. When we are fearful, it actually, it actually changes how we behave. Have you ever seen people, like huge guy, they see a spider. They go, wow, you know, and it's kind of hilarious. And they're like, oh my gosh. And then you have taken a video of them doing that. And you're threatening them. I'm posting this on, on Facebook. Like, please don't, don't. And they're kind of like, that is so embarrassing. Something that they're, they're a thug. They have a gun in their umbrella. And they jump in this small spider. Because to them, they have fear of spiders. It is threatening. It's, it's like something about it. And it causes them to behave like a moron. And that is the problem with fear. It causes you to behave in manners that it, otherwise you would not behave under normal circumstances. And the truth of the matter is all of us, most of us, have encountered having fear of certain things. As a child, I feared being poor. I struggled because we, I ca I became, uh, you will see a picture of me when I was 11 years old later when I share a little bit of my story. And I, I, I was like, I don't want to be poor. This is so bad. You know, it's so, I would say, you lose your dignity. I couldn't bring my friends home. And, and I fear that I will be discovered that we didn't have stuff at home. And so, you know, I would not tell my friends to even drop by. 
You know, there was just, there was fear of rejection. But I grew up, and I, I, man, I was one. I was, I was a person wrapped in fear. It was, it was ridiculous. I, I used to think I was invisible. You know, where that, where that I have siblings. I come from a family of ten children. My sisters were very fair. I used to not look like this. I used to be way darker and very skinny. You, uh, you know, you'll see my picture. Horrible looking picture. But that was me. But you know what? All of that was because our fears are products of our experiences, figment of our imagination. And the bottom line is we need to deal with it because a lot of times when God speaks to us, we can't even receive truth because now we're behaving irrationally, not in accordance to what the truth is saying because of our fear. It becomes a dominating factor in our lives. And we are unable to enter into God's destiny for us because of that fear. It stops you from taking hold of the great things that God has for you. The Bible says God has called us for life and for abundant life. And I always wonder, why is it that people are walking around like this, like they don't have abundant life? It's because they're bonded in fear. They're like wrapped in fear and they cannot, you know, I, I, I love watching cartoons. Yeah, Disney movies. And I, I remember the scene in Thumbelina, you know? Thumbelina was in this bird. And the bird says, Thumbelina! Look down, the world is passing you by. No, Thumbelina goes, I'm scared. How many times do we let an opportunity pass us by because we're scared? And that's why it's very important that we know how to deal with it. Now, very interestingly enough, a lot of our fears, next slide, please, a lot of our fears never really happen. According to statistics, this is National Institute of Mental Health. As of 2015, number of Americans who have uh, diagnosed is 6.3 million, but the percent of things feared that will never take place is how many percent? 60% of the things you're afraid will happen, will never happen. What a waste of energy. Oh, I used to tell people like, if I can spend one day worrying about something, if I worry about it, it will be solved at the end of the day, it will be worth it. But it isn't, it, it doesn't get solved at the end of the day, I have a headache. Now I'm grumpy, now I'm yelling at people. Now I created more problems. It's not worth it. And worry is really just a byproduct of fear. Okay, it's also interesting that percent of things fear that happened in the past and can't be changed, 30%. Why are we worried? Of oh, because this happened before. You can't change it. It happened. Move on. I have people, I have young people coming to me. But Sister Elsie, Dr. Cook, I was raped. Who cares? I was, I was abused too in India as a missionary. Do I just tell everybody now, you have to understand me because I went through a bad time. Do I stop living? Okay, it happened to me in what? 1992? 
Why am I still living like it's still 1992? It's 2015. Why have I stopped living? Just because something happened and I was traumatized doesn't mean I have to stay there. It's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. And some of you here, you have experienced abuse. You have experienced abandonment. You have experienced all kinds of horrible things in your life. My father, I don't even know my dad. It is a truth. I'm sorry that that happened to you. But hey, you're 30 years old. You're 25 years old. You have a God. You have a heavenly father. Stop insulting God and complaining about things that happened in the past because you're cheating yourself of your destiny, of the great things that God has for you. God has abundant life for you. God has abundant life for you, for you, for each one of you. And when the Lord says he has abundant life, it's overflowing. You can manage it. It's just like, whoo! Overflowing. Percent of things feared that are considered to be insignificant issues. 90%. What a waste of energy. Some people worry about how the toilet paper is placed on the bathroom, you know? It has to be like this, not like that. And they fight with their spouse with that. It's toilet paper. Are you kidding me? You want it that way? No, when you get it, just fix it. Oh, I have to go to my husband's like, sweetheart, I told you. To do it this way. Stop being obsessive compulsive. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> A lot of marriages break up. Not because of big issues. It's from somebody used the toothpaste, removed the cap, and did not return the cap. And the wife is upset now. It's about the husband trying to help wash the dishes, but he always, he washes like the floor is also the sink. And everything drips, and they just don't. And like, so why did you? Why? It's unnecessary. And then it, it causes. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that we are afraid of that are not even. They don't deserve our energy and time to be fearful of. The percent of things feared in relation to health that will not happen. 88%. Oh, 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 no, I think I'm going to get this. Like, what? We, I had a funny story about that. We had a lady in the church. This was in Philippines. Oh, she was imagining. She had tumor and everything. Everybody was praying for her. They rushed her to the hospital. She was completely freaking out. Turned out it was just gas. <laughs> she just needed to fart. And it became a running joke in church. Because she had this fear that she will have can she will have cancer. Because somebody in her family had that. I'm like, oh no, I think I have God. As all the ladies were compassionate, they, they really rushed her to the hospital. 
They did all the checks. I mean, she had to pay bills. She had bills to pay after that. Major bills. For what? For gas. Come on. Somebody should just, you know how we do with babies? Uh, burp, burp, come on, burp. But it's ridiculous. We imagine things that are not really there. One day I went to the hospital, you know. This is what I was told in the Philippines. I started feeling, you know, kind of pain. And it was weird because I don't ever feel that. I'm like, okay, let me go to the doctor. I have insurance. You know, let me use it. So I go there, and he said, oh, you have arthritis. I was like, in Jesus' name, I don't have that. <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? And I did not receive it, and I don't have that pain to this day. Oh, like, some people, they speak, I'm not trying to be hyper-faith there, but you got to be discerning. I'm like, someone there, oh, you have to do this. You know, like, Wait a minute. Wait. Let me check with my Jesus first. Are you speaking life to me or are you speaking death to me? Are you speaking fear to me? Because I don't need that in my life. I came from that world. I know what that world is and I'm not going back. There is no way. There is no way I'm going back. Now, what causes fear? You know, there's, you know, how God, cre God created us. You know, God created us with a brain. You know, just to simplify this, uh, you know, because it's kind of complicated. You know, there's two, there's two, they said two brains. Just to simplify it. The thinking brain and the feeling brain. So when you are fearful, when you have the stimulus, like somebody walks in, reminds you of somebody who abused you as a child. Same mustache. Sorry, brother. Not referring to you. Sorry, Pastor Joe. Same eyes, and they walk this way. You get fearful, right? What it does is it shorts, it, it hijacks. You call it amygdala hijack. There's a tiny part of your brain that responds to it, and it skips your thinking brain, so you're not thinking. You become what? Almost like an, an, an animal who responds instinct, instinctively. So it hijacks your your rational mind. And you start doing things that are stupid in response to it. And you start passing judgment. No, 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 he's a, this, 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 this. How do you know that? The person is probably a good guy. And you, you cannot think clearly anymore because what? Of what you call an amygdala hijack. And this is why the Bible says, be renewed in the way you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because throughout our life, if you are 30 years old, I guarantee you, you do not lie to me. You know you've had some traumatic experiences. And all our experiences in life are not pleasant. There were things that hurt us. There were things that endured us. And some of that, we are still enduring the pain of that. We're still dealing with the consequence. But the Bible, that's why the Bible says in Romans 12 too, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how is your mind going to be transformed? The word of God that is life must permeate your soul. Your heart, your mind, and your soul. And guess what? Once that happens, 
your behavior changes. That's what science says. Fear happens because of amygdala, amygdala hijack. What does the Bible say? How does fear happen? 1 John 4.18 says, fear has to do with punishment. That's what the Bible says. You're afraid, you know? You, uh, condemnation is at the root of fear. When I was a kid, if I broke something in the house, not like there's so many things to break, so because we didn't have a lot of stuff, and you didn't have a lot to break, and you still broke something. So you're like, you're conniving with your siblings. Okay, mama, okay, mama, this is going to be our story. It gives birth to another sin. Fear, why? You're afraid, I'm afraid, because my mama, uh-uh. She'll give you a nice spanking. She, you, I only have, all of us siblings only has to experience one time that we get spanking, we'll never disobey her again. She will make sure you remember it for the rest of your life. <laughs> and one time we made a mistake. If some of us make some mistake, you know, you put some pads, put notebooks like yours. If you think you're outsmarting your mom, uh, it doesn't work. You get additional lashes for that. <laughs> you know, but it was that way. And so there was this fear of being, and then later when, when I grow up, it's what, what we all become like so greedy for attention, for approval. Young people, if you're teens here, like you want your friends to think you're cool and you're going to go all the way to do something just to be accepted. You're afraid to be rejected. And so the Bible says fear has to do with punishment. But where did this, where does this sense of condemnation started? We all know it started in the Garden of Eden. We were, initially we were created, you and I were created to be in a loving relationship. We sang a song today. I was created for love. That was God's intention. We were supposed to be in this eternal, loving relationship with the Father. But sin entered. And with the entrance of sin, what happened? Sin brought guilt and condemnation. And therefore, guilt is what makes people fear what is to come. Let me give you an example. Why is it that some people find it difficult to accept the promises of God for provision? Because they think, I'm not worthy. I've done horrible things. Why is it that some people who have backslidden don't want to show up to church and say, no, let me fix my life first before I go back to church? Because they fear condemnation. Why is it that people don't want to speak the truth about their life? Because they fear condemnation. There's guilt. But I have good news for you. If your heart condemns you, the Bible says God is higher than your heart. Don't let that stop you. Keep pressing in, even if you're bleeding. Like keep pressing in, keep pressing in. Because that is the only way you will find the perfect love that will free you from all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of fear, all kinds of worry. And this is what the enemy will do. He will try to convince you, you are not worthy. You have failed way too much. That's it. 
Or you will, and then you start to convince yourself. You say, I will never succeed. You know, we're dealing with a student right now who we feel, we sense, he's trying to get kicked out of school. He's trying very hard. He's just intentionally, like, because he believes he's a loser. And he wants that belief to be reinforced. See how, how silly that is? How dysfunctional? We start thinking when we have all these delusional and wrong ideas of ourselves because we are just afraid. So what happens? I'm afraid of rejection, therefore I will reject myself first. Therefore I will just accept it. I will just accept it as my lot. This is my destiny to be rejected over and over again. Therefore I will just keep working at being rejected. See how that works? And that's why God said, no, no, no. And I'm sure Pastor Joel's preach about do not fear, do not fear. And throughout the scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you see the same phrase over and over and over and over and over again because God wants you to get the message. Fear not. It causes insecurity in people. It causes people to be anxious. When I see somebody do this, 30-year-old doing this, I know there's anxiety there. And my heart goes out to that person. Romans 5.16 says, The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Praise God that in Jesus, though Adam messed it all for us, the message is, Jesus came and brought justification. Therefore, those who are in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, there is therefore no condemnation for them. For they are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you are his child. And your adoption has nothing to do with what you do. You accepted him, you accepted his finished work at the cross, and you repented, and you came to him. It all depends on the finished work of Jesus. I was talking with our sister earlier. She's like, yeah, when I was Catholic, I said I was Catholic too. Born and raised Catholic, got born again after, after college. And I said, yeah, we were taught. You have to be good, you have to be nice, you have to do all the rituals. You know, and I, I used to be very afraid when it's confession time. I have my small paper and I write all my sins. Oh, I may forget some sins. I will go to hell. You know, I have to confess everything. My sins as a kid was always the same. I disobeyed my mom. I lied. I took one peso from my father's pocket because I wanted to buy candy. I fought with my playmates. I mean, it's the same over and But I, my heart was pounding. And I'm like, and I'm lining up. And I will kneel in that confessionary. And I will knock. Yes, my child. The priest would say. I said, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Tell me what your sins are. And I will make sure I will go over, over that list and make sure I don't skip. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. And then he will tell me, pray, then Holy Marys, then our Father. And then it's absolved, supposedly. But after that, I'm afraid again. There was no, there was like a temporary kind of like, okay. But once I walk out of the church, I'm thinking again, when am I going to do this again? 
it's horrible. But thank God that Christ came for me. I don't have to keep going back and back to the priest and knocking at that door. And that my father is in heaven. And he said, Jesus and the spirit of the Lord is in me. And the spirit of the Lord testifies that I am a child of God. And the Bible says that I am sitting in the house blessed with Jesus. They have every perfect and good promises in Christ Jesus. They am more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus. I praise God for that. Let me tell you a story. Uh, let me, let me. The sad thing is whatever happened before the story, whatever happened, this was like years, years, years. We don't even know how long that is. We, we can't grasp our mind around when Adam and Eve lived. <laughs> you know, but this happened before. The problem is to this day, whatever is res resulted out of that, people are still living under the same condem condemnation even if Christ already came. And as a result, our society today, we see a lot of fear around. In fact, a doctor says that uh, Anxiety and Depression Association of America said that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults. That's ridiculous. That's a high, high number. Now, if fear is a reality in our lives, and, you know, even among Christians, it's still there. And I will address that. Why is that? A little bit later. What is the antidote to that? What does the word of God say is the solution? We read it in the Bible. You know? Next slide, please. First uh, John 4.18. It's perfect love that casts out fear. People say, wow, you're so courageous. Courage is not the antidote to fear. It's love. It's perfect love. When love comes in, Fear doesn't have a choice but to run away. It's almost like when you turn on the light, darkness has to flee. It's just the way it is. And this love, this perfect love is found only in Christ Jesus. You can try to find it in boyfriends, in girlfriends, in your mom, in your pop. You can try to find it anywhere. Trust me, it is not going to satisfy and you will find yourself empty. There's only one one being that can give you perfect love, and that is Jesus. And he wants to have a relationship with you, a loving relationship with you. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you my story, my personal story. Now, let me tell you how God delivered me from fear. When I was a child, you see me? Carrying a boy that was my nephew, my eldest oldest nephew, and that's Annabelle. She's studying with SUM now, the one in ours, and that was our house. And you see the dirty clothes that are hanging; those were old clothes that we will use to wipe ourselves when we go back, take a bath. You see my shoes; those are uh, rubber tires. My mom would buy them because they last longer, but it hurts my feet. But for her, it will last longer. You'll, your feet will get callous. You'll be fine. And that was my life. Uh, this was taken a little bit when my hair was still curly. But let me tell you about how life was for me. When I was in high school, I didn't know that God gave me that I was smart. 
I didn't know. I really didn't. So when I was graduating from elementary, we were practicing for graduation. And they were calling the top 10. First honor, top 10 in class. First honor, second honors. And then they called my name, Elsie Reyes. I sat. Elsie Reyes, I sat. I was certain, 100% sure there was a mistake. I was actually the first honor in my class. I was the valedictorian in my class. I didn't know because I was convinced I was stupid. I was convinced I was dumb. There was nothing valuable about me. I was just there. And then for people to see me, I used to, because see the, my sister, my other sister, see how pretty she was when she was a girl. Compared to me, my hair was so bushy. You know, my, I was told later by my dad, you know what? You know, they call me baby now. My, and my family's like, baby, when you were this, you know, when you were little, we used to feel bad for you. <laughs> I said, why was that? Why would you? Because he said, you would walk around. You were so skinny. And then your head would be so big. And you're so bushy. And the hair was so dry. You know? And just kind of, you know, because I love playing outside in the sun and see how dark I was then. And I said, so we used to say, Look at her, she's walking down. Oh, she may tumble over because her head is so big. And my parents actually told me this. Can you believe that? But it was that. And so I used to think if I want people to recognize me, to see me, I have to stay close to my prettier sisters. If they see my sister, they'll say, oh, you're there too. That's how dysfunctional my mind was. And so during that graduation, they, was, they were calling me. And then the third time they called me, my, my, my classmates said, Elsie, you're being called on, on the stage. I said, why, why? I said, so I, I stood up because they were nudging me. And I started walking. And I kind of paused just going before the stage. And I was like, I'm sure they're going to say, oh, sorry, it was a mistake. It was another Reyes. But they didn't. I went up, I still couldn't believe it. I was valedictorian of my class. It was so, and then I went to high school. Now I don't have a choice, I have to go to this house. My mom said, well, you're going to get the best education, going to this university, it's a great uni university. So I went there. I have one school uniform that I have to wear the entire week. I have this very cheap, uh, you know, pair of shoes that after, a a month, it started smiling, you know? It started flopping, it's like, hi, how are you? It started talking to people. <laughs> it was kind of ridiculous, but that was all that we could afford. And I remember, okay, according to, according to studies here in, the, in America, the number one fear of people is public speaking. That was my number one fear, among all the other fears. I held, in, my, in our speech class, our teacher said, Okay, to help you overcome your fear, I don't want you to memorize a speech. I just want you to hold, here's a speech, and you read it in class. You practice reading it, and then you read in class. I was wearing my gray uniform skirt, and this was what I was doing. <laughs> and everybody was laughing in my class, 30 to 40 students. I didn't know what I was to have to do. I don't know how I got through that. I would recite in class and I would sit there and I would 
try to mental telepathy, you know, do mental telepathy with my teacher. And I would say, I know the answer. Please call me. I know the answer. But I won't raise my hand. And then my teacher would say, Reyes. And I'll start to answer. And my teacher would say, I can't hear you. And I'm like, my throat hurts. I feel like I'm screaming already. She can't hear me. Later, I started studying. I said, something is completely wrong with me. I'm a psychopathic, something, something psychologically wrong with me. And I started reading and I found out that when you have your grip with fear like that, your body function actually stopped working the way that it was designed to work. I would talk and no voice and I, and I literally felt I was screaming and she would not hear me. And it was so frustrating. I went through high school that way. 25 years after I graduated from high school, we had a, a, a high school reunion. By this time, I was a minister. I got saved after college. And some of my high school friends knew I preach and I speak. And most of my high school's classmates, they didn't know. They knew me as, you know, no, she can't be heard. I mean, she's smart, but she can't talk. Definitely. And somebody, they invited a speaker, a motivational speaker to come over and she didn't show up. And so one of my friends said, hey, what are you doing? Ask Elsie. She can preach. I mean, she can be a motivator. I'm like, what? Are you crazy? So they said, no, 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 no. Trust me. Trust me on this. Give her 10 minutes. Give her 10 minutes. So they told me very shortly just before, you have 10 minutes. I said, okay. So I completely co composed what I was going to say, 10 minutes, I have 10 minutes. So I stood there and I delivered and everybody was just in a hush. And after I spoke, my class advisor approached me and several other classmates and they said, where did you learn to speak like that? This was my English teacher. How did it happen? How can a person like me who's so afraid who has fear, major phobia of standing in front of people, how can God raise me as a woman of God to declare his word? How? Only the love of God. Only the love of God can dispel every fear that you have, and I don't care what kind of fear it is. If you are willing to trust God, to wash away, to drive away every imaginable fear in this planet. God will use you powerfully. I stand before you today. I preach to thousands. I've traveled many parts of the world. I've walked over to press to, to heads of organization and told them, look, you can't do that. A lanky Filipino girl from a village live all of her teenage life in fear, delivered by the love of God. And I can cry about it every time because when I think about it, it's just amazing and incredible to me. And I'm here to tell you today. Abuse, I got it. 
even after I became a Christian. Poverty, I lived through that. Rejection, I know what that means. Insecurity, oh my goodness, I live and breathe that. But God, the perfect love of God casts out every fear. I got born again and God started changing. And people started thinking, oh my goodness, what happened to her? Like, is that the same person? God's power, God's love. And some of you have known that love, but you know what? God doesn't only want to deliver you with his love. The bottom line is this. When God saves you, God doesn't only deliver you from your fears, from all the things that binds you, but knowing the love of Jesus is just the starting point of a wonderful, beautiful life. Because now God wants you to what? God intends for his love, this already perfect love, to be even made complete and to even be, be made perfected through the relationships that we establish. Let's read the, a passage here. First John. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. And I skip verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love, under, uh, love their brother and sister. Bottom line is this. Okay, we already received the perfect love of God. And yet that perfect love of God, God wants to even make it complete. And he said, how do you do it? By loving others. Can you just show the next slide, please? This is like a kind of a like triangle. The Bible says, when what the Bible says, that we, God, we are able to love God. Look at the red arrow. You know, God loves us. Therefore, blue arrow, we are able to love God. But God doesn't want to stop there. He said, no, I want you yourself to love others. So that they too, along with you, can worship. And this is the process. The love of God is not for you. It's not a private thing. It's supposed to be shared and made complete through the following. That's why I like your mission statement. Love God and love others. Perfect. Because that is how the love of God is made complete. C.H. Dodd said this. The energy of love discharges itself along lines which form a triangle whose points are God, self, and neighbor. Where any one leg of the triangle is missing, love remains incomplete. Any mature earlier, our sister was announcing Bible study groups, you know, the, you have the small groups that you have. What are your life groups? Be part of that. Because that's where the love of God will be made manifest. You know it, but here's the thing. When you, you know God, but it's different. And Pastor Joe said, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. And that's different, isn't it? Then you're just praying in one corner, yes, Lord. It's just be and you against the world. That's not how it is supposed to be. 
You're supposed to be with your brothers. Give your brothers an opportunity to love on you and to care on you and to perfect even. They're already perfect. Like we can still perfect God's love. But that's what the Bible says. The love of God that cast away even fear is even made complete when we fellowship in love. When we share the love of God with others. And God is pleased. And when the heart of God overflows with love, the more we get love. When the love of God overflows overflows with joy, our heart is joyful. Because everything flows out of the throne of God. And that is how Christian life is supposed to be lived. Paul said it very clearly in Ephesians chapter 3 in 17, 19. He said, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Don't say, yeah, I love God, but I, I don't care so much for Pastor Joe. Yeah, I love God, but I don't know. I, can, I, don't, I don't think I can stand a sister. I But I love God. The Bible says you're a liar. I didn't say that. I'm just quoting what the scripture said. Who are you fooling? It's deception. Now the question is, and I will, I will end with this very quickly here. Why then? Why is it you probably are asking, okay, fine, I know Jesus. I think I do love my brothers. But why is it that as a believer, I love my brothers, so why do I still have fears? Why is this still happening to me? Let me r- suggest to you the following reasons. One, amygdala is at work in your brain. There are experiences that you had, traumas that you have, that you have to ask the Lord to bring healing. Because until that is dealt with, and you probably have been running away from it. You probably haven't even talked to anybody about it. Because you're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of condemnation. You're afraid that people will say, oh, you deserve it. It happened to you because you caused it. And you need to step out. Because until you get that fix, God may be yelling at you that he loves you. You're not getting it. God will tell you, I will provide for you. I will never leave you nor abandon you. And you're saying, really, God? Because you still can't get over the fact that your dad abandoned you. And therefore, your your brain is not perceiving the truth that will deliver and set you free. Because those feelings are so strong. And you're not allowing God to enter those inner cords of your heart to deal with it. Your brain. The second thing, may I suggest to you that the reason why you still have this is because you really don't know God. And I don't want to sound, let this come across as judgmental. Let me just explain it a little bit. Here's the thing. You trust who you know. Right? You only trust who you know. You always tell your parents, don't talk to strangers. You don't know them. You will never give your child to be taken care of. Somebody who's like, I don't know. So if we truly know God, then we will trust him. When God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, we will take it, yay and amen in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. 
So yes, we go to church and that's awesome. Yes, we prophesy this morning and that's great. Yes, we worship and sing hallelujah to the Lord. Praise God and we shout, yeah. But do you really know God? How well do you know God? Do you really trust that his word is true? How much of his word do you question? And you say, wait and see. I'll see if it really happens. And that's the reason why you're still trying. You're dealing with fear. Let me tell you what, when I move in here, you know, in the Philippines, I had very established ministry, everything. Everything was great. And God told me, the old wise God said, I'm moving you west. So I filed my resignation from the ministry that I was working with, serving God under, and one year before my resignation expired because I wanted to make sure the transition was good. I trained my, you know, the person who was taking my place. And so I did that. Little did I know that on my year, because God said, your winter time has come. You have been faithful in serving me. I want you to take a sabbatical, an entire year where you, don't, you cease from labor. And you have to trust me for provision. Okay. All my friends were like, oh. I think you're a workaholic. I don't think you will know how to rest. I said, uh-uh, I know how to rest. You know? And so I took my Sabbath. And that year of my Sabbath, God gave me my husband. Then that same year, a year before that, the economy crashed. And my husband, who, who was employed with a company for 18 years and was looking forward for two more years and he will retire and he will, you know, and have, you know, the usual like, comfortable life, blah, 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 loses his job. We were in our second month of marriage. My the God's directive to me, you don't work. And in those days, jobs did not, even to this day, jobs don't come easy. And I come to the Lord. I told my husband, sweetheart, there's one thing I'm really good at. And he said, what is that? Prayer and fasting. So I said, with your permission, I want to enter into a fast. Don't worry. I will still cook food for you. You'll just have to taste it for me. I said, I will not use my, you know, my religious, you know, commitment to God or my covenant with God to stop, my, stop me from doing what God commanded me also as far in relation with my husband. So he said, yep. You can go ahead. I prayed. I said, Lord, what do you have for us? And God said this. Elsie, you have served me for 43, you know, 20, at that time, 23 years, 22 years. And in all this time, I have always been your provider. Your marriage doesn't change that. I am the same God who will provide for you. Do not fear. And I'm like, that's right. Marriage doesn't change that. It just it makes it merrier because now there's two of you. Now we'll trust God for provision. And you know what? The Lord provided. We got through that. We were happy. We never fight, fought over anything. Why? Because I trusted God had raised me to trust his word. If he said it is so, then it is so. If God says, this is done. It's done. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to have a nice sleep and do what I need to do. Because, you know, I'm trying to look pretty as long as I can. <laughs> and 
not look old too soon. I want to serve God as long as I can. How well do you know God? How well do you really trust him? How well are you going to say, yep, I'm going to do this because God said. Because the Bible says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And the third, maybe you still have fear because you think that God's love is based on your performance. And it isn't. God's love is not based on your performance. God's love is based on who he is and what he did at the cross and not on what you did. He is not that way. Let me tell you one and I will end here. The story, this is the true story of a missionary friend of mine uh, in Thailand. So she had, she had a failure and she was hiding from every other missionary. And I was visiting there. God spoke in my heart and said, go to my people in Thailand, to all the missionaries there. And I want you to strengthen the wobbly legs that underneath them and their hands that are weak because of discouragement. So I went there. I planned a trip. And I said, I rallied all the missionaries there that we sent out there. We had about probably 20. Gathered them in one place. And I asked the other missionaries, I said, do you know where this missionary is and said she has been hiding from us she doesn't want to be seen she's living under guilt and condemnation and and all that and I prayed I said Lord and I sent her an email and I said please see me in my hotel if you have it in my in your heart see me in my hotel I won't tell anybody that you saw me you came to I prayed in my hotel and she showed up in my hotel room and she's like mom else I received your email I struggled coming here and I just listened I didn't say a word and I just let her struggle through her words. And she said, I'm a complete failure. I should have listened. I should have listened to my leaders. But I didn't. And I'm a failure now. I'm so, I'm so, she said, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. How can I let this happen to me? I'm a missionary. I'm supposed to be here as a missionary. And then I told her, I let her talk, and we cried, and we cried. We probably talked for at least five hours that entire morning. And then after that, we, there were no more tears to, to shed. I just prayed, and I said, look, I said, sister, tomorrow we will have prayer and fasting day in this church. All the missionaries are coming. Will you consider coming? She said, mom else, I do not know. I'll try, but I cannot promise. I said, okay, that's fine with me. The following day, we had prayer and fasting. So I gathered, you know, started ministering to the missionaries, laying hands on them. We prayed, exhorted, you know, gave them the word. And then after that, I said, let's just come to the Lord as who we are. Let's find our own different corners. Let's find our place, a corner where we can build an altar to the Lord. And let's come to the Lord. And so while we were doing that, just before that, she walks in. And I started like, praise God. She's here. And she heard what I said. And so she immediately went to a corner of a room. And she knelt down there. And then everybody was already praying. There were tears. There were everything. She was still there. And then God whispered to me. I said, walk over to her and tell her, God said he has loved you with an everlasting love. I walked over to her. And I said, Cynthia, the Lord wants you to know. He has loved you with an everlasting love. She broke like a dam. She started wailing. God! She was free.
she was free from the condemnation. And after that, she testified. She said, God has been telling me all this while. God has been trying to tell me that he has loved me with an everlasting love, but I couldn't receive it. I couldn't accept it because how can he love me after what I have done? How can he forgive me? How can he welcome me to his fold? Knowing I've messed up big time. So mom else, when you walk over to me and said that, I was able to receive. Then I knew I was free. You may be a Christian, but do you still have the grip of fear in you? But God says, he has loved you with an everlasting love. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. The love of God is not conditional on you. It's conditional if you will accept the provision that he has made for you at the cross. It is sufficient to cover everything, every fear, every anxious thoughts that you have. Yesterday, I was laboring. I wanted to make sure that I bring this message to you. I was very careful. And Pastor Joe was commenting, man, you're taking time. You really I want, I'm, I'm, that's my attitude always with the word. I want to make sure that I cook it well, that I, I do my best. You know, I'm not perfect, but I want to bring it because I believe that today there are people here in our midst. You love the Lord in your imperfect ways, but that is not enough. And even if your love for him is imperfect, the Lord loves you anyway. But the Lord wants you to stop measuring his love based on you. The Lord wants to set you free. Let's all stand here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, holy, holy, loving God. Holy, holy, loving God, Lord. Oh, there are among you here, I mean, even as I was sharing about my life and some of the abuse that I have, I have to go through, even as a Christian worker, you're thinking, that reminded me of something. It reminded you of something that has happened to your life. And I want to pray for you. you. You know, if you can just step, make a, you know, you probably can go this side since this will be very crowded. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your deliverance. I want to pray for healing. You know, the reason why you have fear is because you have these perceptions that are dysfunctional. And the Lord has been showing you today, has just shown you as I speak. The Lord say, you know what? You are like that. You have this issue. And that's why you have difficulty receiving what I'm telling you. I'm going to do through your life. If you are that person, will you please kindly come forward? I want to say a special prayer for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are going to deliver people, oh God, today. Lord God, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you, sister. Hallelujah. Let me give you a hug.